0: You know what I can't stand? I can't stand diet soda. Anybody, anybody like like diet soda? I'm not hating on you. Like Good for you. Good for you. Here's what I also can't stand. is when a commercial tells me that the diet soda is going to taste just as good as the regular soda. It's a, it's a lie. It's fake. I remember uh, when my kids were coming up, uh, and, and my mom, she drinks Diet Mountain Dew like it's going out of style. And so she, she's drinking Diet Mountain Dew, and my kids are like, this is so good. I'm like, you have no idea, because we wouldn't let them have the real thing. It's fake. I hate it when something fake poses as something real. Now, you have your own soda preferences. That's fine with me. I don't care. But the point is this. When you experience something fake long enough, it becomes normal to you. Some of you have had to switch for whatever reason from a regular soda to a diet soda or something with artificial flavor. And you're like, you know, after time, you don't even know the difference. Because when you live in a lie long enough, <laughs> it becomes real. Right? You know, it's like, so what I want to talk today about is the difference between being real and being fake, specifically as it applies to what it means to live for Jesus. Uh, we, it's easy for us to experience something fake long enough that we just accept it as real. And there are so many fake things in our world. One of the biggest like, tag words in the news, like in 2017, was the phrase fake news, right? And it's just like getting people up in arms and fake news. Like not even our news is real and reality TV is like... Not reality, and we've got artificial sweeteners and artificial preservatives and artificial stuff in our food. And we get to the point where we're like, so good. I just love it. But it, trans- it transposes into other areas of our life. When we experience the fake long enough, we accept it as real, and we're like, yeah, that's real to me. That's good. One example of that is joy. I think God can give us joy. But I think there are things in this world that make us experience something kind of happy. We've never experienced true, deep god-given joy, but we've experienced something that we would call happiness, and so we don't really know the difference anymore. Sometimes we experience other things like we've experienced uh, success, but it's kind of fake success. Somebody builds something up, builds something up, builds something up so long that we don't even know what it means to really achieve success because it's like where's the line? where's the bar? I think the place where it's most damaging for us is in relationships like we get we get like suckered into and sucked into like unhealthy relationship to the point that I don't even know if I would recognize love if it was right there in front of me. And it's a reality that we face in a lot of areas of our lives, and it crosses right over into our spiritual life. I think it's possible to experience a fake God, and maybe he's right there all along, but we get caught up in something that's not entirely genuine, not entirely real, so long that it becomes normal for us. It becomes acceptable Back in the Old Testament, um, which is the part of the Bible, uh, before Jesus comes into the world... This is something that, that we see happen. Um, in, in the Bible, I mean, God really shows up to his people there, and, and they experience him, and they see different aspects of him, and they get to see him deliver them and provide for them. These amazing big stories. And God wanted to make sure that he showed himself to them, and that he gave them some real things to kind of tangibly attach themselves to and say, okay, I, I can't see God all the time, but these are some real things that help me remember who God really is. And so one example of this, one of the biggest things in the Old Testament when it came to people's relationship with God was sacrifice sacrifices, and so they'd have like animal sacrifices, and like that was just part of the system, and what it did was it was a, a really real thing, you know, when, when you have to take one of your animals that you raised, and you're a farmer or whatever, or you buy it, you spend hard-earned money, you take it to the temple, and this thing is sacrificed, and it's like, it's, very, it's real, it's very, and, and, and it's like, well, it's a little bit gruesome, but you know what? God gave them that to remind them that sin is real, and it's gruesome. And sin separates us from God. And he said, listen, if, if there's going to be a process whereby you get your sins forgiven and, and you can come back to me, I want you to understand, like, it's it's life. And so that was a real thing that they practiced. Another big thing where I think we see this example where God really stepped in and showed them some realness was in this facility that he had them build. Uh, There was a period of time where the the nation of Israel didn't have like a permanent home in a city so they were wandering kind of in the wilderness a little bit and they had this tent that they set up called the the tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a word that kind of means tent. It was a very large tent and inside this tent there were some items that helped remind them of God. Uh, When they uh, kind of settled into Jerusalem they eventually built a brick and mortar, mortar place called the temple and and inside the temple and the tabernacle were some of the same things, uh, and they were there to help remind the people who God really was. For example, there was this lampstand, and it was a priest's job to keep the, the fire from this lamp burning, 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 and, and among other things, I'm, I'm going to kind of simplify these items. We're not going to do like a full study on what was inside the tabernacle, because that was, isn't really the goal today, but one of the things that this thing was symbolized was the presence of God, you know, this flame that's continually burning, and he's always there for them, and so they would keep this thing going, and every time they saw this lampstand, they'd remember God is present. You know, he's here and he's, he's a light in dark places and all these kind of things. There was another uh, piece of furniture there in the, the temple and the tabernacle. They, it was a table. It was called the table of showbread. And it was this, this bread that was in the table. And, and, and one thing that this thing symbolized to the Jewish people when they saw this bread is like the ability to kind of uh, God provides for them, you know, sustenance, food. Not only that, but, you know, he's kind of this idea. When you see bread and you want to break bread with somebody, God's the kind of guy you'd want to sit down and have a meal with, right? God wants to have a relationship with us. And this was real, and that was a reminder for the people of what God. Was Another thing that was there in the temple or the tabernacle was this the altar of incense. Maybe you've lit incense in your house to make it smell good or whatever. And, and if you've seen it, you picture the smoke kind of you know, going up. And, and it was a very real reminder of our prayers kind of being lifted up to God. And, and, and in one place in Scripture, it's called a fragrant offering to God. And so it's like this really cool imagery. And so these things were there to represent who God was so that people would think about God So they would focus on God, so that they would worship God, so that they would turn their attention to who God really is. But something happened over time. See, over time, these different items in the temple began to take on different meanings for the people. And so instead of making sacrifices so I can be good with God, I would say, I'm just good because I made sacrifices. And the trust went into my action of the sacrifice, not what God is actually doing, really doing. And these instruments, these these pieces of furniture, the the lampstand, the table, the incense, they were there to bring peace to the people because God is present, God is near, God is uh, available for you. But instead, people began to find peace in the furniture. We've got to preserve the furniture. We've got to preserve the ritual. We've got to preserve the ceremony. And the ironic thing about it all is that these very items that were supposed to remind people of God's presence and His goodness took the place of God's presence and His goodness. And instead of reaching up to God, people began to reach straight across the table and say, how can I bring myself closer to God? The thing that was very real became fake. And they lived in it for so long that it just became normal. And they accepted it. So God began to speak to the people through the prophets and to remind them, hey, this is not the way I intended this. There was a prophet named Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. It says, so the Lord says, These people are mine. They say they're mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man made rules learned by rote. There's another prophet named Amos, and he speaks into this situation. In Amos chapter 5, verse 31 through 23. God says to the people, You know what? I hate your show and your pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals, solemn assemblies. Listen to this. I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. These are different ways that people would worship God. He's like, look, I don't even want to see it. I won't accept it. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. God is saying to the people through the prophets, like, your religion is fake. You're not seeking me. You're seeking ceremony. You're seeking ritual. You're seeking to make yourself feel good because you did something. And that was Old Testament times. Well, we get to the New Testament, so fast forward several hundred years, several thousand years, depending on where you're counting from, you get to the New Testament, which is where Jesus uh, comes to the picture. And you would think, well, hopefully they figured it out. These prophets spoke to the people. Hopefully they changed their minds. But they didn't. You meet one group of people, for example, uh, they're known as the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were um, a religious party, uh, and, and Jerusalem at the time, was their government was pretty much a religious run government, and so the religious leaders were the one who called the shots. In fact, the religious rules is what they called the law, so you know, you just kind of see that legal implication there. And so the, these Pharisees, uh, they were actually doing the same thing that their forefathers were doing. They're still going to the temple, still doing the rituals, but their hearts were far from God. In fact, according to Jesus, he looked at them and said, Man, you're, you're, your actions are just about you. They're about building you up. They're about making you in charge of the people. They're about doing the rituals. And you have lost the heart of God, which is to be a heart a people of mercy, a people of justice, a people who love the oppressed. Instead, these people were like, Look, if they're not as good as we are, forget them. They can't come to our club. And this is the political climate that Jesus walks into when he hits the world. That was about 2,000 years ago. Now, I've talked about the Old Testament. Like, let's go way over here, right? Oh, that was a long time ago. You talk about the New Testament. Even the New Testament, that was 2,000 years ago. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, when I read through the Bible, it's hard for me to remember. These were, this is real stuff. These real people. And it's real easy for us to look at these ancient events and feel like it's a fairy tale or feel like it doesn't apply to me. And so it's really easy to kind of get stuck in that mode. And we're like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys did that, but that's not real. You know, That's just a long time ago. It was just fairy tale. It didn't apply to me, and it brings us to today because I think it's easy for us to get kind of drug into that same mindset. I think the same thing that the Jews ended up doing on purpose or maybe accidentally through the temple, we've done through the church. Hopefully not all of us, maybe not any of us, maybe just some of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. It's actually a condition of your heart between you and God, but it's easy for the church to become that for us. You know, God gave us the church to be a community of people where we could uh, use this group of people to uh, focus on God, learn about God, grow in our faith in God, and also be his hands and his feet in the world and serve the world around us. And so that's what the church exists for us. But it's easy for the church to be become our way to be fake with God. God gave it to us as a way to get close to him, but what's ironic is we can actually use it. Maybe you've done this. I know I have. We can use church as an excuse to be far from him. This is the person who doesn't live for God Monday through Saturday, but it's cool. I'm going to church on Sunday, so I'll, I'll sip some communion. I'll say a few prayers. I'll talk to somebody spiritual leader in my life, and I'll feel better about myself, and then I'll move on. But I wonder if God doesn't look at that and say, I, I hate all your shows and the hypocrisy of your religious festivals. You know? Or maybe it's not so much what we do, it's what we say. And so maybe it's easy for us to get kind of this christian ease thing going on. And on Facebook, you're like, praise the Lord. And we're taking all these things. And someone says, something's going on in our life. And you're like, oh, you know, i pray for you. I'll pray for you. But in our heart, there's something different going on. And we lost the heart of mercy and justice and loving people and looking for the oppressed. And we've lost all of that. And I wonder if God looks at us and he goes, you know, you honor me with your hearts, but with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's heartbreaking because I think that what, we as people want and what the jews wanted was to know god and be close to god But we miss him he's right there (laughs) he's like right there showing himself to us and we miss him and that's what we've been getting at for the last month the series is called that's going to leave a mark And, and if jesus is in our lives It should leave a mark on us. It should change us. It should make us different when we leave here than when we arrive. It should make us different in this world than we were before we found out who Jesus was. Um, If you've been here, uh, you might remember these things. If you haven't, I want to catch you up. This is where our series has gone. In week one, it was the, the first week of the year that we met, I think January 7th. And we met a guy named John the Baptist. And the whole message was, we need to create space for God and trust him to fill it. It was kind of our call for the new year. Like, look, all areas of your life, if you just want to grow in some areas, create space for God, trust him to fill that. The second week, we returned to John the Baptist in the, in the beginning of the book of Mark, and we met him again, and this time we talked about uh, baptism. John was baptizing people. He was John the Baptist, um, and so we talked about baptism. We talked about what Jesus says about baptism, and we talked about this idea of you know, accepting Jesus and committing to him and making our commi- commitment to him official and forever, and, and, and invited you know, everyone, like, listen, if we have made this decision to be baptized, maybe it's something that you can think about and maybe take that step. In week three, we talked about Jesus inviting his first disciples. And so maybe you remember Jesus was walking around this lake and he calls out to some people in a boat and he says, hey, come follow me. I want to give you a mission. I want to help you be fishers of men. I want to help you bring other people into my kingdom. And so that was kind of the reminder that, you know, that's kind of the goal of the church is to be Reaching into the world and inviting those people to come into Jesus' boat. Last week we were in week four and we talked about the idea of what it meant to love the way Jesus loves. Wow, what a a heavy thing to try to do. But we looked at three miracles that he performed and and learned that it's maybe not as crazy and difficult as as we might think. Uh, There are some really practical ways that we can do that. So this week we're going to be wrapping up this series. That's going to leave a mark. I want you to grab a Bible if you got one because I mean, this is exciting. This is a good, good day. Um, grab your Bibles or flip them on your phone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones in the lobby. You are welcome to get up and go get one right now or just grab one before you leave today. Um, everybody needs a good, readable version of the Bible. We give them away for free. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. And all of that we just said reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 2. There'd be a great way to kind of put a bow on this series to kind of send this out. We want to be legit, right? We want to be real. We don't want to be fake. None of you are here early in the morning to be fake. So we want to be real. What does it mean to really be real and to know a real God? And not to accept a fake thing long enough that it just becomes normal. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and meet a few people. So you can keep turning there. The scripture will be on the screen behind me as well. It said a few few days later... when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I love this scene. We're not going to unpack this part of the story but so much, but man, can you just picture this moment? You're having like a Super Bowl party this afternoon, and it's like so packed that nobody can get in, and so one dude really wants some nachos, and so he like gets on your roof and starts digging through the roof, and like, like sheetrock is falling down in front of Tom Brady, and you're like, what is going on? And this dude gets lowered down, and you're like, Uh, your sins are forgiven. Like, that's that's exactly what just happened. So people around are like, this is crazy. This is what's going on. A moment later, we're going to fast forward to verse verse, uh, 10. It says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, so he forgave his sins. That was like his first thing he said. But he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Remember, this guy's paralyzed. The reason he's on the mat is because he's been lowered by his friends. He wasn't able to walk, and his friends got him to Jesus. So in verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out on full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Really, really cool thing. This is one of my favorite stories from Jesus' life, Um, and I think it's... One of my favorites because it shows Jesus' real power in a real way, in a real circumstance. I love that Jesus came uh, and it's a spiritual thing to it, the forgiveness of sins. But what Jesus did to get to the heart of people so often is he met a physical need. He helped to feed them. He helped to clothe them. He helped to meet uh, an illness. He helped to heal this guy who was paralyzed. And there was this huge crowd gathered around Jesus because they saw that. They saw this guy's doing it. He's not just talking about it. He's doing it. And so people are bringing their friends to Jesus. What I've learned about Jesus is when you see him for who he really is, it makes a mark on you. So much so that you're like, I got to get there. I, I got to be at church. I got to be in a small group. I got to sit with somebody and just talk about it. You're just at work sometimes. You're like, man, can I, uh, can I just tell you something God did in my life? It was crazy. And if you're with somebody else who gets you on that level, oh, you can get excited. And when there's someone else who doesn't get you on that level, it's a little bit awkward because we live in a world full of awkward moments. That's just kind of what we've produced. That's Welcome to 2018. How can we make every moment as awkward as possible without trying to offend somebody? When you're like, how do I bring this up? I don't know. He's like, because I'm excited. I want to tell you what God's doing in my life. That's what I've found that happens when people encounter Jesus. It radically changes them. And all they want to do is talk about it. I want to take a second to look at this guy who came down on on the mat. I've talked about him here before, and I've affectionately given him a nickname. Because we don't know his name. Uh, I've named him Matt. I think that's a good name for him. So he's Matt on the mat. Okay, so whenever you read the story, it's okay if you want to call him Matt. Um, this is Matt, and we can talk a lot about Matt. I love this moment where, where Matt has his sins forgiven, and he's kind of like, oh, that's great. That's not what I came here for. I was kind of hoping you made me walk. And Jesus was like, you know what, just so that you, so everyone else can know who I am, walk. So that's, that's a cool moment. Fast forward. I could talk a lot more about Matt, but what I want to do is actually focus in on another group of people who were there. You might have noticed I skipped verses like five through seven. I just want to take a look at verses six and seven, because while Jesus is doing this miracle, he, by his miraculous ability to read minds, read it, it's really cool, he knows that there's a group of people in the room who are thinking, Psh, what? How does Jesus get off saying he's got the authority to forgive sins? It just so happens there's a group of religious leaders standing in the room, and they are skeptical. they got their arms crossed, and they're going, this guy, you just wait till we get a hold of him. We're going to rip him limb from limb. In verse 6, it says, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what Jesus' reply was? Look back at verse uh, uh, verse 10. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So, get up and walk. These guys say no one can forgive sins except for God alone. And I want to let you know something very important to grasp. That is true, okay? There's no priest who can forgive you of your sins. There's no friend who can tell you that what you did was okay. There's no, like, moment in your closet where you write enough letters and feel good about it. Like, sin is between us and God. Only God can forgive our sins. Jesus, though, is God in the flesh. So when these guys say, only God can forgive sins, Jesus is like, oh yeah, that is true. Let me show you something. And he continues to do that time and time and time again. And take it to the very end of his story where he actually raises from the dead. And some of the people who were in this house with Matt that day saw the whole process. They saw him that day. They saw him later. They saw him hang on a cross and die. They saw him raise from the dead. And they're like, maybe this guy is who he thinks he is. But these Pharisees, they didn't believe it. And it kind of it hurts my heart for them because these Pharisees, they prided themselves on how well they knew Scripture. Did you know that in the Old Testament there are over 3,000 prophecies about Jesus? And Jesus hits every one of them right on the head. Boom, boom, boom. If anyone should have been able to diagnose this guy as probably the Messiah, it should have been them. But there he was standing right in front of them, and they missed it. And they decided to embrace something that wasn't real, something that was fake. He claimed to be God from heaven. He was God from heaven, and he proved it. The problem was it didn't line up with what they wanted to see from God. The Pharisees had their ideas about who God was and what they wanted him to accomplish in this world. They actually wanted to keep their power as well. They were pretty powerful at this time. And they also had opinions about who should and who should not be allowed to worship God. And you're just like me, or you don't agree with me, you're out. Jesus comes in and shakes up that whole scenery, and they're like, I just can't accept that. And I wonder if that might have happened to any of us. I got a question for us today. What kind of person do you want to be? There, there are a lot of different types of people in this story. And I think they actually can be like an analogy for the types of people that we can be. Who are you going to be? There's a first group of people, and I love this group of people. They're the people who are gathered around Jesus. Jesus. So there's this crowd It's so big they can't even get in the door. I'm going to tell you what. Not everyone in that group believed that Jesus was who he said he was. I feel certain about that. Some of them were just people who were just walking around. There's a big crowd, and they're just like, ooh, I wonder if there's refreshments. <laughs> and they're just looking. But that's the cool thing about Jesus is because he creates a stir. And when movement starts to happen, people start to gather. In fact, that might be why you're here this morning. You might be here for the very first time. You're like, I just wanted to see like, what this is all about. My friend invited me, or like my grandma told me I should go to church, and I found one online that said it will be cool. It's in a movie theater. We'll give it a try. I think at some point, all of us start out in that outside group, that, that crowd. And we're like, prove it to me, Jesus. I want to invite you to do something. If that's you today, just stick around and watch. Maybe come back one more week. Maybe come back two more weeks. We're starting a brand new teaching series next week. And maybe you can start there. And you're like, okay, I'm going to finish out that teaching series. And just see what Jesus is doing in people's lives. That's a group of people that you could be. Who are you going to be? Um, th- there are these people, uh, the second group of people, these are people who are content with just religion. That's the Pharisees in this story. But I think that sometimes we can be guilty of this. I just want to go to church. Like, you know, I feel like it makes me a better person. A, a lot of times I talk to parents of young children, and this is, this is a good thing. It's a good thing what I'm about to say. Uh, but maybe my, our minds are in, could be adjusted a little bit better. And it's that, you know, really, I'm going to church because I feel like my kids need to be in church. Why? I mean, it's a good thing to have our kids in church, but why? And so I question maybe whether you ought to get your brain in church, you know? Like, what, why, why is it a good thing to be in church? There's a lot of good things. Boy Scouts are good. Girl Scouts are good. Track and field's great. You know, let's get them in higher academics. Like, there's a lot of good things we can do for our kids, but what is it? And so you could just be content with just religion, there's a third group, and I think this group maybe isn't as represented in this story as, as, uh, as maybe it is here. Religion is like a dirty word in our society sometimes. I don't have a problem with it. So maybe you got religion, like you, you hate it, but you're like, I got this controlled by myself. I think the Pharisees come in a lot of times and like, look, if we don't need this Jesus guy telling us how to read our Bibles, we don't need God coming in, stepping in, intervening. we got figure it figured out. It's so easy for us to get in this moment where, like, you know, I don't kick dogs. I pay my taxes. I've never cheated on my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Like, I'm a really good person. I got this figured out. And Jesus steps into the picture and says, yes, but only God can forgive sin. And only God can give you purpose that he was created you to have. And so maybe that's the person that you, maybe that's the person that you would be. A fourth group of people, and I think this also reflects the Pharisees. Maybe God just isn't who you wish he would be. And, and I see this a lot. People say, you know, I... I just can't believe in a God who would do this. I can't believe in a God who would say that. What I've found is when I can sit with a person who feels that way, I can say, okay, tell me about the God that you, that you think exists. Because I want to tell you about the God that I've met. And I found that the things that confuse us and the things that like, take our brain on a spin often have way deeper purpose than we were ever aware of. And that God's holiness is huge, and that God's presence in our lives is huge. And maybe maybe God isn't what you hoped he would be, but let's stop drawing boxes and saying, God, if you don't fit in here, I'm not going to serve you. Let's instead seek, God, who are you, and how can I serve you? Maybe that's who you are. Uh, there's a fifth group. I don't think it's on the slide here. This is the fifth group, and, and this is the group that I just want to speak to. Maybe you're Matt, and you've seen it, you've wrestled with it, but you're like, okay, I, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I want, I want to experience it. The thing that healed Matt that day was his faith in Jesus. What have you got going on in your life that you could just say, I just need to take this to Jesus? Or maybe, adding to that, there's Matt and then here's his compadres. Are there people in your life, you're like, man, they got this going on, but I just got to, I would dig through the roof to get to Jesus for these people. So there's so many different characters and mindsets in this story, and the question is, who do you want to be? And I can't dictate that from the stage and, and no amount of church attendance is going to give us that. We've got to decide who do we want to be, and that is the daily wrestle. And here's the point, is that Jesus is where life is found. Jesus is where life is found. Living by his teaching leads to real life. Living in relationship with him leads to eternal life. And if we get close to him, we might just get healed of what's hurting us. And we will be changed for the better. I don't know about you, but I want to give my life to something that matters. And I want to give my life to something that makes a difference. And so I want to challenge us as a church family to make that our battle cry. Let's do this together. And it's going to leave a mark on your life, on your family, on your job, on this community, on this city. And worldwide, there are God chasers who are putting Jesus first and saying, that's real. And I want to show the world a real change. Um, As we wrap up, earlier I talked about the tabernacle and the temple. And I said there's all these areas in the temple and furniture uh, I left out a piece there's a lot that I left out but there's a left out a piece and and, and uh, inside the temple there was this special room it was called the the holy of holies this is where the people said that the, the presence of god lived and so they brought this uh, this thing called the ark of the covenant in there this was this big golden chest that it, it had like artifacts in it from jewish history where god had really interacted with the people and this was a very holy place only like Certain people could go in there ever, and if so, for a very short amount of time. No one goes into the holy of holies. No one goes into the holiest place. So to divide the holiest place from the rest of the temple, they had this big curtain. They called it a veil. And it it represented, like everything else in the temple, it represented something with God. And what it represented was the separation between God's holiness and uh, and us, (laughs) which is not holiness. And it was a good thing because we said, okay, there's where God, this symbolizes where God is. And so I recognize that I need to seek God. I need to pray to God. I need to worship God. Something really cool happened, though, when Jesus goes through his ultimate miracle and proves that he is God in the flesh. In this whole crucifixion and burial and resurrection scene that Jesus plays out where he defeats death, something happened in the temple. Do you know what it was? That curtain tore right down the middle, top to the bottom. It ripped. I, I, I think it literally happened. Some people are like, maybe it's an allegory. Maybe, I don't know. I think it really happened, because if God can raise somebody from the dead, he's like, fabric? You <laughs> can handle that. No big deal. I don't know. That's just me. I believe in miracles. But can you imagine me the priest that was serving that day? He's like, maybe making sure the, la- the candle's lit. Oh, man, got to get some more fuel in this thing, and then rip. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> the te- when that happened, it was a miraculous thing that happened. And in that moment, God was saying something to his people. Much like he spoke through the prophets before saying, listen, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. What he said in this moment was, the veil that has separated my holiness from you is down. And now because of the resurrection of Jesus, every person who will put their faith in me can now enter into the presence of God. To have their life changed, to have their brokenness healed, to have their families restored, to have their minds cleared, to have their guilt washed away rip. I was talking to Aaron about this earlier this week. I wonder if some of the priests who didn't believe, I wonder if later that week they got a new curtain. I bet they did. Like It was there for like like 40 more years. So I, I bet they did. It's so easy for God to just show up and we're like, oh no, 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 that's not the way I like it. <laughs> but he tore the veil in two and he said, come on in. Come on in. This is where we wrap up today. What step can you take to get closer to Jesus? What steps can you take in your life to say, God, I want you to leave a bigger mark in my life than you've already left? I just want to continue to grow. I want to continue to be in faith with you. Here's a couple of options. I've mentioned several already. One, maybe you just come back to church. You've been once, twice. I don't know. I mean, I got a lot of questions. I don't like religion. I'm not sure. But I kind of like this community of people. Maybe that's what you can do. Just come back. Come hang with us. And learn more week by week. We do this every single week. We talk about Jesus every single week. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to be like Matt and say, all right, I'm in. I trust you. And we talked about making your relationship official and forever through baptism. And maybe you're like, you know what, I've been, I've been doing the church thing for a while. I want to have one more real thing that can help remind me of God's goodness in my life. And, and Jesus instructs us, like when people accept Jesus, like baptize them. <laughs> and in that moment, you receive the forgiveness of your sins. God's Holy Spirit in your life is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Don't put that off another day. Say, you know what? Let's do it. You don't have to do it in the cold ocean. We will find warm water. And let's say, let's give our lives to Jesus. Let's be mad. It might be for you that you just need to take next steps and grow. And so last week, we started talking more about microgroups. A microgroup is three to five people, same gender, who meet once a week, for accountability and to grow in their faith together. And this is not a small group. This is not a Bible study. This is not where you go and sit at the feet of somebody like, teach me. No, it's where you just sit with people on a level playing field. No matter how far along they are on their faith journey, you're in a level playing field. And out of the lobby, we've got two things for you. One is a little card that just kind of has a starter question, three starter questions. That if you have some friends already, you're like, hey, we already meet for coffee. Let's make this a micro group. And you take those questions and you can just start. And you can take it wherever you want from there. But it's intentional. It's about being intentional. But you might be like, I don't really know anybody that would do that with me. We're doing a different thing. Uh, we have two sheets of paper on the table right as you leave. And they're sh- sign-up sheets, uh, one blue and one, uh, one pink because we're super old-fashioned. Um, you can figure out which one you will sign your name on, uh, blue or pink. Uh, but they're boy and girl. And the idea is, like, I would, I would do this. I would meet with somebody, but I just um, I, don't know, uh, I don't know who to do this with. And we don't want to make, like, an awkward first date, blind date. Because those don't work out. Uh, What we're going to do is men, we've got a men's breakfast. We're going to kick those back off uh, this month. Uh, The last Saturday of the month, we've got a men's breakfast. We go down to um, Golden Corral. And at that men's breakfast, if you sign up, we'll make sure we email you and let you know, hey, this is the men's breakfast. Make sure you come to that. And if there's any other people who signed up for that, you can meet them and you can decide like, okay, you guys want to get together. Ladies, you're going to have another thing. I think there's going to be like a Mexican food night at El Cerro Grande or something like that coming up soon. But we'll, we'll put the word out because we know it's hard to make relationships. It's hard to build those. Maybe what you need to do is just commit to that. All right, I want to get with some people who are going to help me take next steps in my faith. Let's do that. So you can sign up out there. You can grab one of those cards and do it on your own. That's how you can do it. And maybe you've been focused on Jesus for years, but you found yourself caught up in the ritual. Maybe that's you. Guess what? The veil is torn. (laughs) Cool. You don't have to be like, oh, shoot, I messed up. Just be like, I'm going to start fresh today. And let's make this real don't settle for the fake. Look for the real thing. And that is going to leave a mark. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you have left such a mark on my life, um, despite the fact that I've been skeptical, I've been religious, I've been fake. Um, And then time after time, you draw me back and you teach me and you show me a better way. And Lord, I pray that as a community, we, we sit on a playing field knowing that you're the only one who gives us that real freedom, that real deliverance. And Lord, help us, help us every day to take steps closer to you so that we can have our lives marked by you and so that we can share it with the world. God, we love you so much. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.